Thank you for listening to this sermon from Renaissance Church located in Montreal, Quebec. For more information about Renaissance Church, please visit our website, renaissancemtl.com. If you would like to know more about how you can partner up to see the gospel advance in Montreal, please send us an email at renaissance.mtl at gmail.com. What comes to, to mind when I say the word work? What about, what about the word servant? I imagine many of us think about difficult aspects of work, or maybe we have uneasy feelings about the word servant. The other day, uh, the, the family and I, were, we were about to sit down for dinner, and so we were, we were cleaning up a little bit, we were getting ready, and I begin cleaning the, the table, we, we clearing it and, and wiping it, and as we're, we're sitting down, we realize that we don't have any forks on the table, right? We need forks to eat. We didn't have any. And so I, I get up, and I go to get us some forks, and as I come back, my oldest daughter, Skylar, she's eight years old, and she says something to me. And before I tell you what she said, something to know about Skylar is that uh, she really, she's very playful. She likes to joke around a lot. In fact, if she ever tells you that you're funny, that's probably the highest compliment that she can ever give you, right? And, and likewise, if you tell her that she's funny, that's probably the highest praise that you could give her, okay? So I don't think she was trying to be malicious in this, uh, but as I'm coming back to the table, and handing out forks, she, she looks at me and she says, thank you, servant. And um, I immediately thought, that's a little bit much, right? Um, that's not how you should speak to your father. Uh, maybe we need to do a little bit of correction here because you shouldn't be speaking to me like that. Um, I, so that was my immediate reaction. But my second thought in that was this. I thought, should I really be offended by that? Right? Sure. Uh, that may not be how she should speak to her father. Um, but why was my immediate reaction to be offended at being called a servant? After all, being a servant is never portrayed as a bad thing in the Bible. It is never a negative thing to be a servant. In fact, it is what we were designed to be. A servant, after all, is how the Bible frequently describes Jesus. Jesus is glorified in his role in serving the Father. Speaking of, of Christ in Isaiah, it says, By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. In addition, Jesus taught his disciples that the greatest of them would have to be a servant. And so we should be honored to serve if the, the role of servant was good enough for our Savior, it should be good enough for us. And so today we're going to be looking a little bit more about what the Bible has to say about being servants. Today we are continuing in our series called Disciple. If you're new here, uh, we are, we're entering the second half of this series in which we're focusing on what do disciples of Jesus look like? What are, what are characteristics that define disciples of Jesus. And so what we've been going through are six identities that all followers of Jesus should be. And we began this series talking about being a worshiper. The following week we talked about being a family member, which means being a part of a church. 
Last week, we talked about being a steward, and we looked at what the Bible has to say about handling God's resources. And now today, again, as we mentioned, we're talking about being a servant. So we'll, we'll be looking at what the Bible has to say about our relationship with work. As we go throughout this series, as we focus on these qualities of disciples of Jesus, what our hope in this is as well is that we would bring this language into our discipleship groups here at Renaissance. Um, our aim is, is that by the grace of God, we would grow together as, as, as a church in each of these areas, that we would seek to grow as worshipers, as family members, as stewards, servants, and the rest, and that we would challenge one another to grow in these areas, because we believe that as we do, our lives will look more and more like Christ, delighting in God in each one of these areas. Let's get into things for today. Again, we're looking at being a servant and our relationship with work. Um, as, as we talk about this today, I want us to look at this from, from two perspectives here, both from the perspective of, of serving in our everyday lives. So that might be uh, at uh, like your job, like a nine to five or whatever job that you do. But also I want to look at this from the perspective of serving within the church. So, so being server, servants towards one another, your brothers and sisters in Christ. So let's dive right in. There's a, a story in ancient Greek mythology. It, it's written by a poet named Hesiod. And in it, he describes the Greek creation story. So according to Hesiod, in the beginning, the, the gods and humans, they lived in harmony together on earth. And, and one important thing that Hesiod mentions is that there was an abundance of food that nature provided and humans did not need to work. There was no work to do. The, the land just produced what they needed all by itself. And so as the, the gods and, and humans are living together, no one works and life is great. Maybe that sounds nice to you. Um, I wonder what your perspective uh, on work is. Now, now, we may recognize that this is a myth, but perhaps we share a similar perspective on work. Perhaps we think like the ancient Greeks that life would be much better if we didn't have to work. Right? Work is a necessary evil that it would be nice that if we did, just didn't have to do that. Have you ever thought about this, though? Have you ever thought about the fact that work is God's idea? In fact, at the very beginning of the Bible, God himself is working. So I want us to spend some time looking at what the Bible has to say about work. The, the very first words of the Bible are this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created. That is the first thing that he does. He works. He makes things. He forms the universe. He takes chaos and makes order out of it. In six days, he creates the stars and the sky and the land and the waters, the birds, the animals, and humans. And everything that he makes is good. After every day that God creates, he looks at his creation and he says, this is good. God creates and he creates things well. This is the opening pages of your Bible. God is a God who works. But not only does God work, God designed us to work. In Genesis 2, God put, puts man in the garden. In verse 15, it says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. 
And so as image bearers of God, we work because God works. Work is not a necessary evil. Work is not just a means to getting our next paycheck so that we can relax on the only one or two days we have off in the week. The reality is that work is God's good idea and his purpose for us as his image bearers. And so being a servant, it has to do with our relationship with work, but it also has to do with our relationship with God because God is who made work and he designed us to work. Why is it then that at many times we don't see work like this, right? We, we don't enjoy work. We find it, it difficult to work. We find it hard to be motivated. We are sometimes lazy. We complain about work. Why is that if God created us to work and work is good? Well, you don't have to go very far to see what goes wrong. Just a chapter after humans are placed in the garden with a purpose to do good work, we see that sin enters the world. Humans are in the garden. They are deceived by an evil being. They're tricked into, believe, into not believing God, and they believe a lie rather than believing God. And so they ruin the trust that they had with him. They break the relationship with God by not trusting him. And as a result, sin enters the world. And what we see are the consequences of that sin. If we look down at Genesis 3, we see that God meets humans in the garden after their sin, and he tells them of the consequences of their actions. This is what he specifically says to the man. It says in, in verse 17, And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So as a result of sin, work becomes cursed. Where man had, put, uh, had been put in the garden to work it and keep it, now that land has, been, has become cursed. In pain of it, you shall eat of it, meaning work is going to be laborious. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you rather than the goodness of fruit. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread, meaning you will have to strive in work now. Work becomes difficult. Work was once a joy for us. We had harmony with God and therefore enjoyed to do the things that he designed for us to do, including work. But now, because of sin, there is difficulty in work. Work is a battle. It is painful. It can be miserable. It can suck the energy out of us. And think about the, the work that you do. If you're like me, you can relate to the brokenness of work. Maybe you find it hard to be motivated. Maybe you find your boss tough to work for. Maybe you find your coworkers difficult to work with. Maybe you're lazy at work, or you've stolen from your work, or you have a hard time showing up on time for work. Maybe you're underpaid or underappreciated at your work. You probably are. And so in many ways, we can all relate to the brokenness of work. We are both affected by other people's brokenness in work, and we also contribute to the brokenness of work. All of these are issues of sin. We both contribute to sin in work and are affected by other sin in work. 
This is not how God intended work to be, but this is what work has become. What I want us to see, though, is that in the midst of brokenness, God did something. God did something to redeem work, and that was sending Jesus. Christ came to redeem work. He didn't come to eliminate work. He came to redeem it. I want to read this from from Mark chapter 10. This is Jesus, and he's talking to his disciples. It says this. It says, And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. What is he saying here? First, he points out the brokenness in work. He says the Gentile rulers lord it over them. They exercise authority over one another. In other words, they get ahead in life by climbing over people to get to the top. Their worth is in how much power they have. They, they work to get ahead of others, and they push people down in the meantime. What else does he say, though? He says, it shall not be so among you. This is not how Christians are meant to serve. If you want to be great, you're not called to more power. You're called to serve. This is completely countercultural to, to what we know. Jesus says it's not a race to the top. It is a race to the bottom. It is to show humility towards one another, to love one another, to look to the needs of one another. And this is what greatness looks like. This is what redeemed work looks like. It looks like people from this church sacrificing their Saturday once a month to help out at the food bank that we put on. It looks like someone telling me that they have a heart to see the youth group up and running again and would love to be a part of that team. It looks like Lydia volunteering to take on many of the tasks that need to be done in this church while she's here visiting for two months. It's that whenever the dummies come to my house, I cannot get them to leave before the dishes are done and the floor is swept. They literally will not leave. This is what redeemed work looks like. And as Christians, we serve because the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, came not to be served, but to serve And he did so by giving up his life so that you and I could have new life through him. So that we could die to the brokenness of work, to laziness, to dishonesty, to seeking power over others. And we would live to delighting in Jesus in our work. Because our hope as disciples of Jesus is no longer in status or success. It is in knowing Christ and living for him. And what that means for us now is that we can have joy in work. The good news that Jesus came to bring is that the work is finished. Jesus' last words before his death were, it is finished, meaning the work is done. Nowhere else will you hear that except from Jesus. It is finished means that Jesus did the work of salvation for you. His work was the will of the Father, and he succeeded where we have failed. And so he alone can present the work that he has done to the Father. And the Father is satisfied, and he is satisfied with anyone who puts their faith in his Son. And so what what does faith in Jesus look like? 
let me remind us, having faith in Jesus does not mean there is no work. We are not like the ancient Greeks putting our faith in no work. Remember, work is God's good design, and so our hope isn't the elimination of work. It is the redemption of work. Therefore, we can work hard because God does. We can work honestly because God does. We can work sacrificially because God does. We can work joyfully because God does. We can be people that others look forward to work with because we don't complain. We treat others with respect. We work with integrity. We're not lazy. We don't have to live for the weekend because we can find joy in the work that he has called us to do, the work that he has redeemed for us. So let's ex explore that a little bit more. What I want us to do for, for the rest uh, of our time is unpack a passage of scripture from 1 Peter. Uh, this is a, a passage that has to do with serving within the church. So work that should be done within the church amongst your brothers and sisters in Christ. This doesn't necessarily have to do with your nine to five, although there may be some things that, that do apply. But what I want us to see is the redeemed work that God has for us within the local body, the church. So again, this is from 1 Peter chapter 4. Uh, we're going to be reading from verses 10 and 11. Just two verses, but we're going to unpack a few things from that. So let me read it for us, and, and we'll take a look at it as we go. This is what it says. It says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength of God, uh, sorry, serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's unpack that. What's the first thing we see here? First thing we see is that disciples of Jesus serve from their giftings. Disciples of Jesus serve from their giftings. It says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. So start with your gifts. You have gifts that God has given you in order to serve. When we put our faith in Jesus, we receive gifts that we use, that we are to use according to the grace of God. So what are you good at? What are your passions? What are your talents? Use them to serve the church. I promise you the church can use them. Are you gifted in music or singing? Use it for worship. Are you gifted in teaching? Let us start a, a Bible study together. Do you have a passion for cooking? Use it to make meals for people in need. Do you long for the church to pray more? Help us by leading a prayer night at a members gathering. Do you like design? Join Yash and Fleur Lee on the team. Are you gifted with numbers? I would gladly accept your help with taxes this year and forever. That is not a joke. <laughs> the Bible says that we have different gifts. Paul, similarly in Romans, says this, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in pro proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Not everyone's gifts are the same. 
What you are passionate about is different than what Dwayne is passionate about, is different than what Natalie is passionate about, is different than what Wesley is passionate about. But we all have gifts that God calls us to use in redeemed work. So use your God-given passions to serve. Not only are we to, to serve from our giftings, we should also serve the needs of others. So disciples of Jesus serve the needs of others. Again, Peter says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. So our gifts are for one another. As servants, we look to the needs of others for ways that we can serve. Our gifts are not meant for ourselves. If they were, that would only be self-serving. This should not be understated. This is probably one of the, the most consistent points about our gifts throughout Scripture, is that your gifts are meant for building up the church. I'm going to read a, a few examples that we see in the New Testament. So speaking about gifts, Paul says in Ephesians 11, says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the, the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 14 says multiple times throughout the chapter that gifts are for building up the church. Romans 12 talks about the church having various gifts, but they are used for the good of the church. And so the primary purpose of our gifts is to build up the church. Let me point out something here as well. If we look back at Peter, Peter says that, that we are to use our gifts to serve one another as what? As, as stewards. And we talked about this last week, right? What does it mean to be a steward? It means that everything that we have belongs to God. Well, what this says is that even our gifts belong to God. They are not for us. And so we steward them from God for his glory. And God says our gifts are meant to bless one another. And so in order for the church to function as the church, it needs your gifts. So we serve from our giftings and we use them to serve one another. And let me also say this as well. That there are plenty of ways that we should serve where we may not be gifted. So yes, we should serve using our gifts, but we should also be motivated to serve where we see a need that may not necessarily be a gifting of ours. In a family or at work, you will always do things that you may not enjoy, right? In my house, it is neither my nor Melissa's delight to change diapers. We don't have a passion for that, right? But that is something that, that, that in our family we take care of it because we love our children and we love one another. The same thing applies to serving in the church. It may not be your favorite thing to clean up chairs while your best friends are talking, but it is something that meets the needs of this church. We may not enjoy waking up early to load and unload the van the day before the food bank, but it is something that meets the needs of this church. And the example that we are to follow as a servant is that of Christ. Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so being a servant requires humility, it requires sacrifice, and it does so to meet the needs of the church. 
And this may mean that we put aside some things that you enjoy for the good of your brothers and sisters in the church. But this is ultimately for your joy as you live to do redeemed work. Maybe you're not even sure how you're gifted. I read this from a pastor this week named Sam Storms. He says this regarding our gifts. He says, whereas many have been helped by taking a spiritual gifts inventory test, my recommendation is that Christians stop indulging in introspective navel-gazing and simply step out and begin to love and serve others in concrete acts of ministry. He says, in doing so, I'm confident your gift will find you. He says, open your eyes and look for those who are weeping. Ask the Spirit to guide your steps to those who are weak, afflicted, and destitute. And as you go, listen to the voice, listen for the voice of God to grant you a prophetic word that will encourage and console uh, the suffering. Take your hands out of your pockets and lay them on the sick, beseeching the Lord of mercy for a gift of healing. Look for those in financial straits and give to them generously. Identify the despairing and speak words of encouragement. When people are drifting, open your Bible and teach them truth. It says, instead of first asking, what is my gift? Ask the question, who is in need? If God's people would look outward before looking inward, they will encounter the charismatic and empowering presence of the Spirit to equip them for every good deed. If you're still bewildered by what may or may not be your spiritual gift, Act first and ask later. I think that's really good advice. So disciples of Jesus serve the needs of others. Next we see that disciples of Jesus serve by the strength of God. Peter says in, in, in verse uh, 11, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. We need to realize that the power to do this does not come from ourselves. It is God who works, and we are dependent on him to do so. The same sentiment is reflected in Psalm 127. It says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go, to late, go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives his beloved sleep. So we work in the strength of God. And what does this look like? First, it, it looks like humbling ourselves before God. Scripture says that God's power is revealed in our weakness. In other words, God works in and through us when we go to him in need. When we stop relying on our own power to fix things and trust in him. Paul puts it this way, not many of you are wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful, not many were of noble birth, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Christ's strength is made known in our weaknesses So prayerfully ask God for the strength to serve others. Remind yourself how Jesus served you by dying for your sins and let your gratitude for Jesus motivate you to serve others. There's an author named Aaron Lee. He, He puts it this way. He says, your attitude should not be that you are so strong, you are capable of doing this, or that you are the best at doing this. 
Rather, you should have the mindset that God, that says God has gifted you in a certain way, and you want to draw upon his strength in order to serve other people. He says, don't start relying on your own strength, or pride will start persuading you that you're the one who is working. In reality, it's God who has given you your gifts, and it is God who empowers you to serve. So pray for strength. Trust that God will provide it, and then you act in faith and commit to serving. That's how you serve in God's strength. You commit it to him, and then you let his love be an outflowing of your work. So when we begin to serve and love others the way God intended, when we look to the needs of the church, when we, we serve self, uh, sorry, when we serve selflessly, we'll begin to see that this is not from ourselves. It is from God. The reason we can serve like Christ is because God has given us his spirit. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is alive and is working in those who put their faith in Jesus. And so pray for that strength to work in and through you as you serve. So disciples of Jesus serve by the strength of God. Finally, we see that disciples of Jesus serve to the glory of God. First, first Peter 11 it goes on to say, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. In all things, our service should be for the glory of God. This is the heart behind being a servant. Peter says, if you're one who serves by speaking, speak oracles of God. In other words, he's saying, encourage one another with the word of God. Use God words to, to lift one another up, not just your own. Why is that? So that God gets the glory, so that he is made much of. He says, whoever serves, do so by the strength of God. So serve not in your own strength, but by God's strength. Why? So that he gets the glory. In everything you do, do it to the glory of God. Serve so that people would know who God is from it. At your job, show up on time so that God would get the glory. Work hard so that God would be glorified. Be ethical so that God would get the glory. In the church, use your gifts so that God would get the glory. Serve sacrificially so that God would be glorified. And look to meet the needs of others. In your marriage, look to the needs of your spouse so that they would be reminded of who God is. Encourage them with God's words so that he would get the glory. Do not grumble when you serve your kids so that they would know who God is. And do not get upset when they sarcastically say, hi, servant, because that is who you were designed to be. How we work matters because it tells the world what we believe about God. And let me close with this. Maybe you're here today and you're saying, Graham, work is still hard, right? Now what? What do I, what do, I do now? Let me answer with the words of Jesus. Matthew 11, he says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. So Jesus, he promises rest for your soul if you will come to him. Rest for your soul. Nothing else can provide that for you but God. Extra sleep won't give you rest for your soul. 
Going to the movies won't give you rest for your soul. Playing video games, scrolling Instagram, being lazy will not give you rest for your soul. That is something that only God can provide. The yoke of Christ is easy because he carried your burdens on his shoulders. You do not need to carry the weight of the brokenness of sin. Jesus did that for you. And God made it so that you don't have to work off your sin. You don't have to work to earn the favor of God. Jesus did that for you. And so all you have to do is accept his free grace, his free gift of grace by putting your faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Christ carried your burdens as he carried the cross to his death. Your sin was placed upon his shoulders as the wrath of God was poured out on him on the cross. And Jesus promises rest, true spiritual rest, to those who put their faith in him. So rest is not found in the elimination of work, but in the satisfaction in Jesus in your work. And so let us live for redeemed work as servants as God has intended for us to be. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to the sermon from Renaissance Church. If you have any questions about the sermon or would like to know more, please feel free to contact us by email at renaissance.mtl at gmail.com or reach out to us on social media. It's our passion to love Jesus, love each other, and love our world. 